You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Chapter 8 The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no longer hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we yet do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Thank you very much. That's a little more formal than I'm used to. And now I'm more nervous. Oh, this is serious. Okay. So it'd be great to have that open in front of you. Romans chapter 8 and those verses. That sounds a little bit too... No, it's okay. It's okay. Good. Keep going. So uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 16 through to uh, verse 27. And we are continuing on in our Roman series. Um, I really enjoyed uh, my time with you in Romans. This is my uh, last talk in Romans and our, well, no, next week is our last talk. Um, Joe Ash will be giving that one. He's one of the uh, apprentice workers here um, and he'll do a great job, preaches really well. So I'm excited to hear that. I'll be away, so I'll listen to the recording. Um, but I'm, I'm sad that this is my last talk here uh, in, in Romans because I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you have too. And you'll know, won't you, um, that through... This series, which has been going from chapter 5 through to chapter 8, that Paul has been banging on about grace. That's why the title slide is, it's all about grace. Uh, Paul has been wanting to to hammer that we have this freedom, this glorious freedom in Christ. I would describe it as a radical grace argument. And so along the way, we've seen how he's anticipated the problems that might be coming up at him as he is talking about how free we are in Jesus, particularly in relation to the law. And we have learnt, haven't we, that uh, we are completely free from the law of sin and death. We are completely free from the power of sin over our life. We have died in Jesus 
And so sin uh, no longer has any authority over us. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that the sting of death is sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that the sting of death is sin. Now, I think that's a, a funny statement. I would have thought it would be the other way around. The sting of sin is death. What makes sin so bad, it leads to death. But no, 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. Why does he say that? Well, he says that because when we die, it doesn't end there, does it? When we die, we die as sinners in our sin. And that's where we meet our maker. That's what makes death truly horrible. And that's a first part of the power of the gospel's effect on our lives by the power of the Spirit. It awakes us, uh, it enlivens us to this reality that sin is a serious thing to, to deal with. It's our greatest problem. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And so now we know what a serious problem is and how, 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 how horrible it is to, to die in sin. Romans is such a huge relief. And this is, that's the particular freedom that Paul is banging on about. You really are truly free, Christian, from sin. We still, we still sin. We're still in the flesh. Sin is still a part of our Christian experience. But it has no power to condemn us. We are free. We have this radical freedom. An inappropriate struggle an inappropriate way for the Christian to suffer is that kind of suffering that comes from wondering whether you're in or out with God because of your Christian maturity or your Christian performance or because how slack you feel as a Christian. That's an inappropriate struggle, Paul is wanting to say. He's saying that the, that's gone now in the gospel. We've died with Christ, we've been raised with him, we are utterly, thoroughly secure. Even though we still sin, it has no power over us. We can say every day, as someone in Christ, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, irrespective of the sin that I'm still struggling with in my life. We're radically free. That's an inappropriate struggle, that struggle of am I in, am I out before God? Christians shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't have that struggle. We do. But you don't have to have that struggle. He's gone on so long about this radical freedom that we have in Christ that for some people, some of us Christians, it's a shock. It's something that we struggle with that as a Christian in this world, there are all sorts of weird and wonderful ways in which we struggle still as Christians. There are all sorts of weird and wonderful ways in which life still seems to be really hard. Even though we've got the great gospel, Christ is king, we are connected with the great gospel, the good news to the whole world. We're in him, we're connected, we've got it, we're in him. And yet life still goes on as something of a struggle in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways. And Paul here, at the end of uh, this argument about how free we are in Christ, now he wants to double back and help us to really understand our freedom by talking about appropriate suffering. The kind of suffering that it's, 
it's normal, good for a Christian to experience in this life. That you shouldn't be worried about. You shouldn't be scratching your head about why am I suffering in this way. Paul wants to go back and give us a clear picture of what we are not free from in Christ at the moment as we wait for his return. And so that's what he says there in verse, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself, this is the freedom bit, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We live by the Spirit, right? Not by the law. We live by the Spirit, not by the law. That means we're connected to Christ. We are God's children, therefore. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Is Paul kind of sneaking a test in through the back door here? After all that argument about, it's not about law, it's not about performance, it's all about grace, it's all about freedom in Christ, it's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift, but you've got to suffer to get the reward. I knew there was a test. I knew there was something we'd have to pass to get into heaven, right? That's not what he's saying. He's, he's simply saying that if you're a Christian, a person in Christ, and increasingly you're becoming like him, because that is what the good news is, right? I've come in under his kingship. That's, that's the point of the good news. Jesus is the great king. If I'm living under him and becoming like him, I can expect, can't I, that my experience in the world will be just like his. And what was Christ's experience in the world? Well, it didn't end well, did it, for Jesus? <laughs> he had all the power of God in him. He never did anything wrong. If there was anyone who should sort of have, like, have a cruisy passage through life based on their performance before God, it should be Jesus. He had all the power of the Spirit, never did anything wrong, perfectly obedient to the Father. And yet it didn't end well. Why? Well, the clear and obvious answer, I think the most obvious expression of it is in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Don't mind the people leaving, they're doing other duties, they're not sort of offended by the Gospel or anything like that. Or, I've had enough of this, see you, my gosh. They don't feed us enough, I'm out of here. No, no, um, what was I talking about? Excuse me, John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so the, the, I think that's a really clear, it's just so clear there, isn't it? John chapter 1. He's light into a dark world. And he came to that which was his own, but the world, they rejected him. But the light has overcome the darkness. Jesus comes and he pokes our idolatry in the eye. He's come to seek and save the lost. And in order to do that, he comes and he pokes our idolatry in the eye. He butts up against us where it hurts. He exposes our sinfulness to us because he wants us to see we've got a problem and he wants us to turn and repent. And so he says to the rich young man, you know, uh, sell everything, come follow me. I can't do that. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. 
And sometimes it's just sort of sad ways in which he pokes our idolatry. And other times it's violent ways. The teachers of the law are feeling their positions of power and that's their idol. We are somebodies. And if we follow Jesus, we become just like everybody else's. And we don't want that. And I'd rather kill him and get him out of the way than acknowledge my pride. And so as Christians, to a greater or lesser extent, we'll be exactly the same. We're being transformed into the image of God, in, into, the, into the image of the Son he loves. We're being transformed in him. And so we, we are now light in a dark world. And sometimes just accidentally, you know, we'll poke someone's idolatry in the eye just by the way that we live. Our value is the way that we move and roll and relate to people. You know, when I'm rumbling with my kids on the couch, I've got a, a daughter and she's so fiery at the best of times, but if I accidentally poke one in the eye, boom, it's gone from playtime to absolute chaos. And I'm the worst person in the world and she just, psst, dad, dad, hate you, go away, this is not fun, you're awful mean. She's, she really turns like that and, and that can happen with us as Christians. We're just living our Christian life and in our friendships, you know, something will come up, something we believe and boom, that offends me that you think that. So he says, that's the right kind of suffering. What's more, Jesus just came down to earth incarnate, God incarnate, and just lived in this world, right? And it can just be hard for anyone living in this world just because you're in this world. But he remained faithful to the Father. And are we going to remain faithful or trusting in Jesus even though it doesn't mean all the time or even a lot of the time a smooth passage? That's what it's saying there. If you're prepared to suffer with Christ, do exactly what he did in the world, well, then you have every confidence. That's a reasonable kind of struggle to have in this world, the kind of struggle that Christ had. That's a right kind of fight to take on in your life. Not the sin one, am I in, am I right? No, yes, but just the normal sufferings of being in Christ. Yes, that's good, that's normal. You should experience that as a Christian. And then he meditates upon suffering in this world and how the Spirit clarifies for us what suffering is in this world, what's going on with suffering in this world. And it's super helpful, and I'm going to split it up into three sort of sections here. First of all, uh, creation groans. Second of all, we groan. Thirdly, the Spirit groans. That's the three points he makes here. Creation groans, we groan, the spirit groans. So here we go. Let's roll up our sleeves, get into it. Creation groans. I consider that our present sufferings, verse 18, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. There's so much helpful stuff in those verses about suffering in this world. Really helpful. What's it say there? Well, it says there, Creation groans, verse 22. 
the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth. But this few verses is saying that it's a part of God's plan. It's saying that creation groans with eager expectation. Creation groans hopefully. This is all by God's design. God has subjected creation to frustration, to this bondage of decay, in the hope that it will be liberated. And see what fixes it here? Brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's what creation is groaning and hanging out for. Like someone in labour. It's painful, it's hard, it's awful, but there's also joy in that pain. And that's how creation is. And why is it waiting for the children of God to be, or, or to be brought into the freedom of the children of God? Well, we are co-heirs with Christ and the Bible promises that us, Christians, this is amazing to me, we will rule with Christ over the new heaven and the new earth and everything will be as it ought to be. And the reason why things are broken and chaotic and corrupted here and now is because we are not who we ought to be. We're sinners. We've turned away from our role as stewards under God over creation. We're meant to love God, love each other, love our neighbour and love creation. That's what our role is under God as stewards, as image bearers of God. But when we rejected God, when our own way turned, to, turned against his rule, everything has gone pear-shaped. And even, even things like tsunamis and volcanoes and stuff that we apparently have no real control over, it's just nature. No, even those things are indirectly because we rebelled against God. They are, they are things that God lets happen to this creation, right? To show us that creation is creaking. It's falling apart. Everything is coming apart at the seams. Even creation itself, because we forfeited this royal job that we'd been given. And so now the creation looks forward to a time when that will be fixed, when, when we will be who we ought to be in this creation. So it groans, but it's a, it's a hopeful Suffering. This, doesn't this dramatically change how we see all that's going on in the world? In so many ways. It's not bad about, uh, to be about all the things that we're trying to do better in this life, but there's no amount of recycling, there's no amount of medical research, there's no amount of um, you know, championing equality. There's no amount of any of that stuff is going to fix creation. Creation knows that. Creation groans and it knows where its liberation is coming from, they're children of God. Come on, God. Reveal them. Put them in place. We're hanging out for restoration. And because creation groans and we're in creation, we groan just because we're in creation. And we're in these bodies that are part of this creation. Look here in verse uh, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. 
Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What a clear statement against any gospel teaching, preaching, which says because you have Christ, it should be smooth sailing. Because you have Christ, you should be as beautiful as you want to be, as handsome as you want to be, as rich as you want to be. (laughs) Your relationship should go absolutely smoothly. If the power of the Spirit was really working in you, you would be obviously victorious over your peers because God's on your side. But here it's saying really clearly, isn't it? No, we haven't got the redemption of our bodies yet. Yes, one day we will live in this world, this creation, which is all fixed up and which is in sync in every possible way. Every tear will be wiped from our eye. It'll just be joy upon joy upon joy. And no one will have that weird thought, actually, I really do want to die because it'll just be a relief to finally sleep for a long, 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 long time. And life is tiring. In, in when we receive our, 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 our hope, the redemption of our bodies, it says here, our hearts will be bursting at the seam with joy one day after the other. It is coming, but not now. That's why we hope, right? That's what he says. He explains, you know, why do we hope if we've already got it? No, no, of course we live in hope because we have not yet received our, the redemption of our bodies. We're still in the flesh, the corrupted, broken, sinful flesh. Still in this broken, corrupted, fallen, groaning, bondage of decay world. We're a part of it. We can't escape it, of course. What is true for anyone, therefore, is true for the Christians. Christians get cancer. Christians' marriages bust up. Our, our, you know, our, our, our relationships with great friends sour sometimes. Um, we go bankrupt. We, you know, all of this stuff happens to Christians. Of course it does. We groan along with creation. But the difference is, just like creation, we have this incredible hope. And so as Christians, the Spirit transforms our suffering. It changes our suffering in two really obvious ways. Number one, we never despair to the point of there is no hope. I mean, you may feel that, sure. As a Christian, you're, of course you're permitted to feel that. But I'm, but I'm just saying, objectively, there's no reason for a Christian to despair to the point where there is no hope. We need not do that. And we encourage each other, don't we? Because we, we, you know, when, when, when Christians are struggling or when they're not doing so well, when life isn't smooth sailing, we don't look down on them and, and go, wow, they're not really walking with the Lord. They're not empowered. There's something wrong with them. They're sort of a B class, C class, perhaps Christian. No, no, no. We go, yes, this is what happens. And we get alongside them and we say, come on, hang on to that hope. Remember, keep suffering with Christ. That's what the, how this whole passage started. We encourage each other. My brother-in-law um, is a real character. I love him. He's one of my best friends. Um, and there are a few stories in, in our family about him that are pretty legendary. Here's one of them. <laughs> when, when, my oldest, when my oldest sister had her first child, um, 
they, they went into the hospital to actually have the baby and she was, you know, in uh, labour pains and the baby's about to calm. I don't know how long it took, um, I don't know, five, ten hours or something, like obviously, you know how it works. Um, and, <laughs> right, <I don't> <laughs> wow, this is going to become a legendary story about me, one of those. <laughs> uh, we've had three kids and I, you know, but anyway, I didn't know how hers, how, okay, back to him, back to him. So he, he's there, he's there, right? He's there in the hospital room, in, in the delivery suite, and there are all these nurses around, and, um, and he's there in the corner with a coffee, reading magazines. <laughs> reading magazines. Not even his Bible. See, I tapped that, but it wasn't a Bible. No, magazines. And he said at the time, well, I don't know, there's just all this stuff going on around me. Um, you know, the nurses had under control. I knew she was going to be okay. You know, it's, 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 obviously she's in pain, but she's not actually dying. She's having a baby. It's, it's you know, and so it's best just to, just to get out of it and uh, go and just read my magazine and uh, turn up when the job's done. You know, and, and uh, I know, I know. I've got to say, I've got to say, my brother-in-law is honest, honestly... He's one of the sweetest people you've ever met. He's very kind, a great father <laughs> and a great husband. <laughs> He's a pastor of a church as well. So you know, <laughs> yeah, oh. uh, but, um, but I won't tell you. He's in a Baptist church in New South Wales and sort of south, just above the border. But I won't tell you what church it is, just sort of in a country town. Didn't look, didn't look I, won't I won't tell you. He's, anyway, so yeah, so um, anyway, anyway, uh, that's a legendary. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. There's something, there's something right in this passage which might sort of, you know, that, that kind of lines up there, right? Like if, if, if suffering in this world is like labour pains, there is some wisdom, there is some wisdom on sort of rising above our suffering, you know, keeping it in, in perspective. We will suffer in this life. But there's wisdom in always remembering the bigger picture. All of this suffering is, is designed by God, actually. He's given creation over this, and it's for a reason. What's the alternative when creation falls? Just boom, judge it. Vaporise it. Start again. No. His plan is to give it over to its sin for a time, its corruption, its the burden, its bondage to decay, in order that it would be liberated, in order that a salvation plan could be worked out. It's deliberate. This suffering. And we have this knowledge as Christians. Arm, arm yourself with it. It's, it's, it's a wise, good, godly thing to always have that perspective. Keep it in mind. It's important. But of course, you are rightly horrified that he sat there in the corner reading a magazine because here's the, here's the other side of it. Because we know where it's all heading, right? All the more shouldn't we empathise and sympathise and get along our brothers and sisters when they suffer. When I'm suffering, I want you to get alongside me and point me in the right direction and just sit with me in my suffering. Just encourage me as the body of Christ, right? We are there for each other because we realise what's going on. And when you're actually suffering, and sometimes it can be really acute, you can't have that perspective. But as a body of Christ, we can. And we can get each other through this. Yeah? The Spirit transforms our suffering, living by the Spirit. 
Finally, the spirit groans. In the same way, the spirit helps us uh, in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What a beautiful few verses. We don't even know what to pray. Sometimes we don't even pray. We just feel burdened. And God, our Father, who's always our Father, 24-7, he's always there. He always cares. He's always attentive. He's holding everything together minute by minute. It's as if he doesn't know what's going on in our lives. And as if he doesn't love us um, when he goes to bed at night and then he gets up again and, and uh, you come up in his sort of index of people he's got to care for every now and again and he'll check in and say, hey, no, constantly. He's attentive to you, even when you can't express the burden you're feeling. And he brings you home. He's working by his spirit to bring you home. I remember I heard this from another preacher once. He said, and I love this story. It's a really powerful image, I think, of this. He said that um, when he had a daughter who, when she was very young and not yet able to talk, was crying out one night, he went in, pulled her out of the cot to try and comfort her, and she was in, the, in, in her bedroom, and, and she, she pointed out of the room. So she was, she was distressed for some reason. He went, he went out of the room, and she just pointed up to the kitchen. He went up to the kitchen, she put her hand down, she sort of sat for a moment, and then she started to cry again. She was obviously distressed and discomforted. She pointed out of the kitchen, they went out of the kitchen, into the hallway. She sort of stopped there for a bit, calmed down a little bit. Then she began distressed again, started crying, pointed down, the, down to the lounge room, went into the living room. Still no relief. He worked out that she was just trying to get away from her pain and he worked out that she had an earache. She was sort of constantly grabbing her ear and it was a bit red. He was going, I think she's got an earache. They gave her some Panadol and, and, and it worked it out and that's what was going on. And she was just trying to get away from where the pain was, but she couldn't. She's just a baby. She doesn't even know what's wrong with her. She doesn't know how to fix it. And she's like, she's groaning, Dad, help me. And Dad loves her and picks her up and just works it out. Yeah? And God does that for us. He really loves us. Crummy sinners. We don't have to worry about that. We're right with him. We are sons and daughters permanently welded on. And that means now, in our suffering, he's with us, beside us, bringing us home. That we would share in this glorious inheritance with his son. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your powerful gospel because it's good news. It's good news for us sinners. And Lord, help us, God, to put off the old struggle, which is not appropriate. This struggle that we all still have to a certain extent as to whether or not we're right with you. God, you want us to know and make it abundantly clear we're right with you. Help us, God, to get it. We pray that your spirit would testify to our hearts and make us strong and confident because of who we are in Christ before you. And God, because we are fused together with who Christ is, help us to suffer like he did with him in this world as we look forward to this great hope, the redemption of our bodies. In your son's name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.